Good morning. Happy Sabbath. I will be reading uh, from the New International Bible, 1 Thessalonians 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the Church of Thessalonians in God the Father and Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We thank God, we always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from your idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. All right. Well, happy Sabbath. Well, it's been a week since we talked about working through the pain. The pain. And some of you are thinking, well, yeah. I don't know if I want to work through the pain. The setting was the Olympics, which are still going on, seeing people transcend normal human limitations. Speaking of which, I said last week that uh, I had significantly improved on my mile, but I did 50 seconds better this week on my mile than I've ever done. Yeah. I would have worn my gold medal today, but they weren't giving it out because I actually got a silver in the whole event, as it turns out, out of three people. So, very exciting race there. We're enduring through the pain because that's what it takes to make it. We're working through the pain because whether it's um, achieving something great whether it's a project that we have to complete at work, whether it's a relational struggle that we're having within a marriage or a home or with extended family, whether it's a challenge that we face in our social lives, whether it's something at school uh, where we have an undeserved reputation or something's not gone our way, whether it's the challenge of Uh, making friends in a new environment, whether it's working through uh, interpersonal issues in the course of life as a body, the crucible of the church. It doesn't matter the context. We're obligated to keep going. 
and that out of that crucible becomes a refinement. And so today I thought, rather than just leave you with the sort of, this is what you've got to do thought, maybe we have some tools biblically to help us with this. Some things that we can turn to and look to that will give us ideas of how we, how we are actually to do this. Um, how we're to make it in the course of all of this. I don't usually work with notes, but it's sufficiently complicated uh, with the texts involved that I thought I would uh, at least have an outline today. So I hope you'll bear with me. I want to uh, turn to Revelation 3. That's where we're going to start today. In our quest to answer the question, how do we work through the pain? How is it that we persevere? How can we build endurance? How is it that we can move toward this? And just by way of background, I think there are a couple of things to understand. Because together we're going to mature in the faith and we're going to learn to endure for these reasons. In Revelation 3.10, we are commanded to. Now this is in the middle of the section on the churches. And 310 is Philadelphia. And it says this. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Now, I don't know where the command being referenced is found per se, but it says you have kept my command to endure patiently. Now, it's clearly not one of the ten, and yet endurance is spoken of so many times throughout the scriptures. One of the uh, interesting ways is in the Old Testament. It's through the extolling of the virtue of God. You've heard this many times, and you can say it with me. God is good, and his love endures forever. Yes. Or another way of saying it is, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for his goodness endures forever, or his love endures forever. So that is one of the things that we, uh, we see in endurance. The second thing is also in Revelation. It's in Revelation 13 and 14. Not only is it apparently commanded, as in Revelation 3, but it's also called for, which I suppose is another way of saying the same thing. In Revelation 13.10, well, let's back up to 9. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear. And we're talking about the great beast that comes out of the sea. Verse 10, Revelation 13, 10. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. So we're talking about imprisonment and death of the saints at the hand of the beast. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. That's you. You're the saints. Some days that's me too. We're the saints. The thing is that in the most extreme of adversity, imprisonment and death, torture, death, in the face of tremendous evil, we're called not to give up on God. Now, I don't know about you, but it appears to me sometimes that God is getting his royal behind kicked 
that too harsh? Too strong? It really looks to me some days like God is losing this thing called the great controversy. That evil is in fact dominant. It is in fact prevailing. It is in fact overwhelming. It is in fact overtaking. It is in fact more powerful. Do you ever get tempted to take that dire point of view? Oh Lord, don't let me be the only one. Apparently. Because in this thing called the great controversy, what I know is that victory was achieved when? At the cross. This I know. And I know that there is to be a second establishment of a kingdom, this time with no end. That the kingdom will endure. That God's reign will be not only supreme, but his reign, his will will be done at that point on earth as it is in heaven, to quote the Lord's Prayer. At that point in time, things will have changed. This I know. So I I can hope for what is coming, and I can trust in what has been, but it appears to me at times that God is losing this fight. And when it appears that God is losing, I don't know where to stand. Because do I want to lay down life? Do I want to endure hardship, imprisonment, torture for a losing cause? It doesn't make any sense, does it? That's a sort of fatalism I would reject. And it's a sort of, um, oh, I don't know, more morbid sort of hope, I guess, that I would reject as well. What we're commanded in Revelation 13, or 3, we're reminded is called for in Revelation 13. That is to say, in the midst of the most extreme of trials we need to have developed an understanding that God is God, that he reigns, and that nothing changes that. Not how I feel, not how I see things at the moment, not how the battle appears to me, for he is already victorious, and he will declare his victory once and for all. He does not do so now because of his tremendous patience his great love for humanity, desiring that not only I should not be lost and you should be lost, not be lost, but that no one should perish. Isn't that the love of God? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should what? Not perish, but have life. He wishes that none of us, no one, should perish. And so we endure. You hear the saints underneath the throne of God who've been martyred crying, How long, O Lord, must we endure? So the cry is legitimate. The feeling is real. Even those who've been ask the question. Revelation fourteen twelve. Well, let's back up 
to 9. The third angel, this is the third angel's message, followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no day or rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus, to the remnant. The remnant will have a quality of endurance. Those who remain, who go through these terrible and troubled times. So we're going to learn to endure individually and corporately because we're commanded to and because it's called for. We're going to learn because we're God's children. And hardship equals the discipline of God, which is his crucible of growth and refinement over and over in the Proverbs and it's repeated in Hebrews where we'll go next. God says, those I love, I discipline. If a father loves his son and does not discipline him, does he really love him? No. We have to be careful in the modern context to separate it from beating, but rather we must understand it to be directing. God directs us in trial. He helps us to become something that we could never be in times of comfort or ease. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. God disciplines his children or his sons as the chapter heading. We've just read about all of the saints who've gone before, who've endured and done such great things. And it says in verse 1, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We too must endure our crosses. And looking ahead, that itself is a tool, isn't it? One of the tools we have for building our endurance is understanding the suffering of Jesus. That is one of the tools we have. We can look at the reality of what he suffered and that he did not avoid it. You've heard the song he could have called 10,000 angels, etc. to destroy the world and set him free. He didn't. And his mark of endurance becomes the mark on us. It's the mark of suffering. Take up your cross and follow me. It's not an easy command. But as we remembering the suffering of Jesus, remember how he did not put it aside, but endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sits at the right hand of God. That's an interesting juxtaposition of words. Here is a man crucified in the manner of a criminal, 
one who has done no wrong, one who feels the abandonment of the Father in this final hour, one whose shame is his extreme pain and nakedness for the world to see, displayed on this cross, beaten, bleeding, ultimately pierced. And the juxtaposition of this image of Roman degradation and shame and tortuous death for the criminal, not the saint. And now he sits at the right hand of God. This juxtaposition informs us of something. That what I said earlier about my sense that God is somehow getting his royal behind kicked in this great controversy doesn't matter. Jesus probably felt that question of abandonment. Was he going to make it through this? Was there another side to this? And the other side is that he sits at the right hand of God. That is a tool for us when we think of what we must endure. Jesus didn't think suffering the cross was beneath him. Why should we think it's beneath us? He endured and gave humanity hope. And we can endure to participate in that hope and to share in that reward. Endurance is mentioned a lot more than you might think in Scripture. In fact, if you take a look, I was surprised to find it mentioned right alongside of love, hope, and faith. And frankly, I've done a lot of preaching in my life on love, hope, and faith, and not a lot on endurance. And they're right there together many times in Scripture. Finally, let's just take a quick look at 1 Timothy First Timothy six eleven. Paul's wrapping up his letter and he challenges Timmy, Timothy. But you, man of God, and we could insert our own selves in there. But you, people of Santa Clarita, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and oops, what's that next word? Endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Isn't that fabulous? In other words, endurance is something we need to pursue. Who knew? It's right up there with these others. Well, coming back to this uh, notion of endurance and Scripture, one of the things that uh, Scripture makes clear won't last forever is anything of human intent. Our plans, our wealth, our dreams, our accomplishments, our words, our institutions, our buildings, none of this is forever, according to Scripture. But guess what is forever? 
And when the text says, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever, or God is good, his love endures forever, sometimes they substitute words for love in this praise to God. Sometimes it is faithfulness. Your faithfulness endures forever. Sometimes it's law. Your law endures forever. Creation itself endures forever as the one who created it made it so. Righteousness endures forever. God's renown or his reputation endures forever. His throne, his name, God of gods and Lord of lords, he is the one who endures forever. His kingdom, his domain, Mount Zion itself, the city of God, these last forever according to the scriptures. What God acts upon is eternal. What we act upon is not. I found strange comfort in that because it reminds me of where I need to be. It reminds me of the place in which I live. It reminds me of the context and importance of where I sit and who it is that I must turn to and lean on and trust in wholly. Turn to Romans 15. I'm going to start giving you a few tools here, and hopefully you can write them or remember them or something along those lines. Verse 4. Romans 15, verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. We talk about love, faith, hope, but hope is the byproduct of endurance and the encouragement of scriptures. And verse 5 is, is the tool here. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus so that one heart and one mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you, Christ has become servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. And it quotes the Old Testament. Isaiah, I believe, yes. This is the perfect tie-in to last week's sermon. God gives us endurance he gives us endurance and encouragement that we may live together in unity and harmony, fellow followers of Christ, that with one mouth and one spirit we may glorify God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That acceptance is possible amongst us because we're accepted of God and loved of God. I have to just hand it to you. You, you do such a beautiful job of this here in Santa Clarita, really. There's a wonderful spirit of this, generally speaking, in this congregation. It doesn't mean we can't always improve. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but I really I commend you for the grace with which you fulfill this. But a tool for enduring, a tool for, 
for living this out is the recognition that it is God who gives endurance, just like God gives us faith. Sometimes I think we want to muster all of this. You ever feel that way? It's just stuff out of fiat. We're just, oh, we're going to do it. We're going to have it, you know? We're going to find that faith within. It isn't there. Faith is a gift. We think it's the same thing for endurance. We think we're going to be able to go through all kinds of adversity and remain faithful because that's just who we are. But guess what? It isn't who we are. It's only who we are in Christ. And it is a gift that he gives us of faith. And it's a gift he gives us to endure. We get into all kinds of trouble when we forget that. Because, well, Martin Luther said it so well in his great hymn, A Mighty Fortress. Our strivings would be losings, is what he says. And that is indeed the truth of Scripture. There's this dual sort of thing where we must run the race. We have to strive. We have to engage life and faith and hope. We have to work through the issues, the sins that beset us, etc. It isn't a passive process, but none of it happens without the goodness and grace of God. And that's the dual kind of truth. We, we want it to be one way or the other. We want it to be all easy or all hard. And the truth is, we're engaged in this journey, singularly and together. And it is only because of God that that journey itself is possible. And it is only through God that that journey will be realized and our destination will finally get to. But Romans lays that out. It's a gift. So that's the first thing to kind of remember. God gives endurance. It's a gift. The second text I want to look at is in 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 4. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await, wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end. There's that gift again. So that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ our Lord is faithful. I appeal to you brothers. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree. Oh I'm reading from 1 Corinthians. No wonder. It's not there. Wonderful passage. Do you not mind to preach about that one? I could go on. At least it's not wholly unrelated. It sounded good. Thank you, Milton. We'll just take that and run with it. We, thank you, Peter. Peter endured that little. D- good. As well you should. Let's start in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardship we suffered in the province of Asia. 
We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of our lives. Indeed, our hearts, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. So see, Paul felt a bit of what I've talked about too. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who what? He does what? He's delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many thanks will, many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So here is this thing. We felt the sentence of death, but we, this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He's delivered us from deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope, and he will continue to deliver us. So the second tool is the anticipation of deliverance. Deliverance comes in two forms. The deliverance Paul experienced as a living person, having the trial and tribulation itself come to an end, didn't mean he wouldn't face others, but a particular beating or a particular flogging or a particular imprisonment would have its end point for Paul. And he would go on to share the gospel. But the other deliverance is not the deliverance of the temporal, the deliverance of the temporary or the deliverance of the situation at hand. It's the eternal deliverance. It's the deliverance from the body of death. It's the deliverance of resurrection itself. It's the solution God poses not just to the sin problem, but to the mortality problem. In Christ we will live. As he was crucified, buried, and resurrected, so we will suffer and we will be resurrected also. That is the tool of hope. That's the tool Corinthians says. We anticipate that the sufferings we experience now will come to an end. And ultimately, we won't just be delivered from these sufferings, but we'll be delivered from sin and death itself. Colossians gives us another tool. Colossians 1, 11. I'll start in verse 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is an awesome statement. We are strengthened in endurance and for endurance by his strength. We might bear fruit in every good work, have the knowledge of God, be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, in order that we might have endurance, patience, and joyfully give thanks to God who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of saints in the kingdom of light. 
He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into his kingdom. He's taken us from the house of fear and moved us over to the house of love. Because this kingdom is of the son he loves in whom we have redemption. For he has forgiven us our sins. We're strengthened for endurance by his strength. Not an easy thing we're talking about. There's nothing particularly quick. Nothing particularly easy. But James 1-2 gives us another view. James 1-2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. And that's the passage that we usually know, isn't it? That's the one we usually think of. But perseverance finishes its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So the last tool that we have is to understand that trials and the testing of our faith develop the perseverance that make it necessary and possible for us to mature. Do you remember having growing pains? I remember my feet being so big relative to my body that I tripped with great frequency. I remember laying down in the living room and feeling achiness in my legs. I remember a certain sort of dis-ease for a short period of time in my body because I was growing faster than my mind could keep up with. And some of you might remember those days too. We call them growing pains. And growing pains are those things that build the endurance to maturity. And maturity is what we're called to. So one of the tools we have to go forward with is to just understand that when we face adversity, it isn't God getting his royal behind kicked in heaven and losing when we face adversity, it isn't that we've lost the battle or the war. When we face adversity, it isn't that we should always have it easy. But it is par for the course. And it isn't adversity that's the problem. It is what we will do with it and whether we'll endure. May God bless us to that end. May he help us may fit us that we might all be able to endure all that life hands us, that in the end, we may have our reward, our share in his kingdom of love and his kingdom of light.
for he has already won the war.